Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode we're discussing the comic book, comic book events of 1996. Pardon my stumble. Um, hey, not that many events, is there, John? <laughs> oh, God. Well, okay. Um, I won't... I don't know which one we want to start with first, but I will say this. Marvel does... I don't have a whole lot to talk about Marvel, because basically one thing took over Marvel that whole year. So well, if you think about it, this is almost the near collapse of the whole industry. I would say 97 might be the pits, because I think 97 is when Marvel files for bankruptcy, and then they go down to, like, eight titles. Am I wrong? Pretty much. Uh, I, I will say this. This is the year that I stopped reading comics. Like, I have a few issues of Spider-Man from this, or had a few issues. I don't think I even have those anymore, but I had stuff from this year that I had collected, and then it just stops, and you know, I, I had lost my interest in, in what they, what Marvel and everybody had to offer, so it was you know, I've read this stuff not in, in the recent years and, and whatnot, and I think I did pick a good time to stop reading. Yeah. Um, I think I told you, I basically stopped, so I stopped buying them in 92, but my uncle had a business. Even as a teenager, he would go around buying comic books, whatever he thought would be rare. But he he got burned a lot because it was the whole speculation market. But I was still reading his stuff at his house. So I was still reading through 93, I want to say some 94. And then I, I just dropped off. And then I want to say it was summer of 96, a small comic book shop opened in someone's garage near where I lived. And I started pilfering through the old stuff. I was into Savage Dragon still. So I started picking that up. And then through that I started getting the spinoffs. And then I started going like, hey, what else does Image have going on? So I started digging through a lot of their stuff. I was not reading anything from Marvel, anything from DC. It would probably be another two, three years before I picked up anything from either one of those guys. Though I did have a friend who was reading X-Men all the time. So I read the whole Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, and that's that again. That's probably like the last really good, you know, event that Marvel put out for a good a good while. Yeah. So uh, as usual, we start off with Marvel. All right. Well, here's one that's going to cross over because this is really this is the highlight of '96 for me at, at the very least. I don't know if you have anything that you would call a highlight, but. Uh, DC versus Marvel happened. Uh, it was written by Ron Mars and Peter David, two of the you know most prolific writers at the time for both companies. And uh, art by Dan Jurgens and uh, Claudio uh, Castellini. And basically, it was various characters from the Marvel and DC comics are brought together by these two godlike brothers that personify the two companies in order to basically see which ones have the best champions. Now, out of the 11 fights that happened during the story, six were, de were decided by the creative team, but then five, uh, the five others were actually decided through reader votes. That's pretty so, cool. At least, yeah, you have some sort of... I feel like it all should have been uh, reader decided. It should have, but then again, uh, well, the fights that were, that were decided by, by the company was with Namor versus Aquaman for... Aquaman won. Elektra versus Catwoman, where Elektra won. Oh. Uh, Flash versus Quicksilver, Flash wins. Yeah, that's that's a given. 
Robin versus Jubilee, where Robin wins, which is also a given. Uh, Shazam versus Thor, and uh, Thor, Thor wins. Well, actually, Captain Marvel at the time, uh, where Thor wins. And Silver Surfer versus Green Lantern, where Silver Surfer wins. Okay. Which also, which it makes sense. Yeah, Green Lantern's not going to be Silver has... Surfer. He, Green Lantern isn't the Green Lantern that we know now because, you know, Kyle is still, like, pretty new to the whole thing. So, yeah, Silver Surfer is going to kick his ass. Yeah, and with those, you know, six fights, three, you know, three and three wins. So you have the the idea is that they, the company picks a balance and it's up to the readers to choose, effectively choose who's going to win in this, in this uh, contest. So, and the, those fights would have been... Uh, you had Superman versus the Hulk, and Superman won that. Uh, ben Riley Spider-Man versus Superboy, and Spider-Man wins. Uh, Batman versus Captain America, which went to Batman. Wolverine versus Lobo, where Wolverine wins. And Storm versus Wonder Woman, where Storm wins. Yeah, though, what? Yeah, and even though at that point, Wonder Woman had gotten Thor's hammer. Wow, that's amazing because I didn't expect the DC to say, yeah, that's cool with us. Because Storm's always been kind of like lower popular, you know, level. Well, but that's the thing is, even though the fights basically actually go into Marvel's favor, uh, the basically the, the way the story is done is that the brothers came up with a compromise and they merged the two realities. Okay. And that, and that became the oh, Amalgam comics. Yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah, is is this where the seeds of JSA versus the Avengers is planted? I feel like it's somewhere around this where they start talking about it. I think so because that and that's a and that's a hell of a crossover too. Uh, but it's like yeah, and the idea is I mean, we had Marvel and DC crossovers, you know, before like I think Superman and uh, and Peter Parker, Spider Man yeah. crossed over before. There's I'm sure. I'm sure there's some Batman. Yeah. Well, there was the Teen Titans in the X Men special. Yeah, that too. And it's like, and but every time I think about these crossovers, it always goes to the Dark Horse ones, where it was Batman versus Alien, Superman versus Alien, Batman and Superman versus Alien versus Predator, <laughs> Batman's uh, Judge Dredd, and Batman and Tarzan. Dark Horse would license that shit out like crazy just to just to get their name out. But uh, but effectively, this the amalgam comics ran for like a month or so. I think there was only a single issue of any of these. You know, but uh, you had. Go ahead, sorry. But it came up the characters like the Super Soldier, which was uh, Captain America and Superman, uh, Dark Claw, which was Batman and Wolverine, Spider Boy. Take a fucking wild guess who <laughs> yeah. they threw together for that one. Uh, Doctor Strange Fate. And of course, the one that makes the absolute most sense was uh, the X Patrol. Because really? if you're going to uh, okay. take the two characters that are effectively the exact same comic from both sides, Doom Patrol and X Men, <laughs> what the hell are we doing? Yeah, that is strange though. Because, but it is like an interesting pair up. It's not an obvious like from sales point, but yeah, that, that works for me. There was also, and this, I never read this one. I, I read some of these, because uh, they had them all, I think there's two volumes of it that were all uh, condensed together, so you could actually read the Amalgam comics. I've read some of them because of that, but I think the second volume I didn't see, because I've never read Magneto and the Magnet Men. 
<laughs> That's terrible. Which was, yeah, Magneto with the Metal Men. And I I know of the Metal Men existence and all that stuff, but I've never, I don't think I've ever read anything with those characters. I've, I've seen them, like, as guests in a couple comics, and they just, it just doesn't work for me. I don't care. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like, yeah, they're... Aren't they like metamorpho adjacent? In kind a way? of, yeah. They're just they're just uh, flexible. They're all basically the same thing. There's different strengths based on what metal they are. They're the kind of characters like sea devils that pop up every ten years in like some sort of mini series, and everybody goes, "Nope." <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. But, but so eventually, the two brothers end up restoring their separate universes and. They congratulate each other on, you know, each other's characters and blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it's actually a better crossover than it any has, it really has any right to be. Because it is the equivalent of, like, Secret Wars, where it's, we're going to get our our, uh, our toys and we're just going to bash them together until, you know, and see what happens. But it's, the matches, some of them are genuinely, they're not extensively long fights but they're actually in some cases really well thought out like the batman uh captain america fight is actually a really well well construed two page you know like i think each battle is maybe two pages it's actually a well thought out conflict because okay. it's it's effectively two characters that 100 percent know that they are being you know no matter what they do they're screwed they definitely know they have no animosity towards each other, and they're both very good tacticians, and it's literally just random chance that knocks Captain America out. But, like, uh, the Robin Jubilee fight, which is incredibly a stupid idea to have a fight because... <laughs> well, it's like, Jubilee has powers, sure, but this is Tim Drake. Tim Drake's going to beat the crap out of... Well, He's not going to beat the crap out of Jubilee. He's going to beat Jubilee in, a, in any form of match because he's the most resourceful, well, you know, he's, he truly is Batman, just as a kid. Right. And Jubilee isn't Kitty Pride. She's just Jubilee. She's sassy. But it's but it's a cute fight because they're flirting the entire time. Oh. <laughs> and, and it's she's upset that she lost, but she's very good with it because apparent uh, the way you can kind of read it is, I think Jubilee's into bondage. Ooh. Wait, <laughs> no, the teenagers. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, she's she's discovering some things about herself. I'm I'm adding a lot of context <laughs> to that story. <laughs> uh, I'll say this though: the worst fight in there is actually the Wolverine Lobo one because it's literally done off screen. Oh, that's lame. Uh, Wolverine shows up at a bar that Lobo's at. They go behind the bar. You just kind of see like a couple of arms, you know. You know, for each one, they're saying catchphrases, cat and then Wolverine just gets up and lights up a Stokey, and that's it. And you're kind of going, "Wow, that's uh, that's a bullshit." Yeah, yeah, that's lame. Especially when it's not a budgetary reason. Just draw the damn thing. Yeah, it's out of any of those fights, that would be the one I would want to see, and I think that's. I would say that is definitely a conscious decision. It's kind of like in that uh, 2016-2014 Godzilla film where the, the, big, the first big fight of the film with Godzilla, you don't see it. 
because they want to build up your anticipation, but you're not building up anything at this one. Yeah. You're just, you're just, you're giving us blue balls. What the hell? <sighs> it's so lame. Yeah, I never read it, so I, I never saw any of this. I don't even know if I even read any of the amalgam stuff. I was completely out of the whole thing during this time. Yeah, I, I've only only of that series. I only owned like two of the DC versus Marvel actual issues, and like I said, then I read the amalgam stuff as a, uh, as like years later as a collection. Yeah, the. But, uh, uh, yeah, for my world, it was basically just independent comics, if anything. I think it's funny is if you look at the mid-90s are real, like, if there's any comic book movies, it's almost all independent stuff. Because, you know, like, 96, literally the only movie based on a comic book. Can you fucking believe this? I'm saying these words. Only one movie that year. <laughs> barbed Wire, wasn't it? Yeah, Barbed Wire. That was it. That's, like, so pathetic. <laughs> like a $15 million. <laughs> that wouldn't even buy you <laughs> one of the actors of the Marvel Universe now, $15 million. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, and then, of course, what was it? Gramercy put all their money on that instead of Mystery Science Theater 3000. At the time, I was mad. I was mad for a long time. I was like, it could have been a big hit. No, let's not delude ourselves. Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie, was never going to be a hit. At best, maybe it made a few million dollars. But come on, it was a movie that was chopped up over and over, reshot twice. And when it came out in theaters, it was only 72 minutes long. I was pissed. So, yeah. But still better than Barbed Wire. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Although barbed wire is just Castle uh, Casablanca, so yeah, the uh, with Mad Max infused into it. So yeah, I was thinking like '94 is like the heyday of Dark Horse comics, because they had the Mask and Time Cop, and I feel like there's another one in there. Uh, well, the Shadow sort of because at the time they had the license, but yeah, it's it's so funny because for a little bit there, DC and Marvel they they were making movies. <laughs> All we had was like maybe the Batman movies and Steel. Well, and like I said, with this with this little crossover, you are kind of seeing these two companies that are in a tough time actually, you know, really sitting there and going, "Hey, let's have fun and poke poke fun at the fact that we are competition." Yeah. Well, it's funny, isn't even on TV? I think all we had was like the last season of Lois and Clark. I think it's just. So strange because all we have is nonstop comic book stuff. I don't even know if we even had. Do we even have the animated X Men series at this point? Uh, let's see. Ninety. It was ninety two. I want to say it was the last uh, season of it. The tick. It might, think, yeah, it might have been like the final season. Yeah, I think the tick was still that. going. Yeah, it's just it was a weird time to have hardly anything. Which count Freakazoid though? Freakazoid seems like it was. It wasn't based on comic book, but it's definitely in that world. <laughs> Um, all right, so over in comic oh. books, seriously, it's yeah. not much better in, in, in DC. So, right, well, well, I still I do have a couple more. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh, you're not oh, done. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. If we were still doing, if we're still, if you want to like, jump over to DC, we can do that, and I'll come back. No, no, you're good. I thought you were done. I thought because okay. I thought you said you only had oh. one thing to talk about. No, no, no. Because uh, the Clone Saga is trudging on. <laughs> okay. Technically, the Clone Saga ended in '95 with Peter Parker retiring and. You know, he's going to enjoy life with, with pregnant Mary Jane, and they had a, like, uh, you know, they had their own little uh, miniseries and shit. Uh, but, you know, you get, you get the Ben Riley's now Spider-Man, so we get uh, 
the series web of Spider-Man ends and replaced with the sensational Spider-Man. In issue zero, introduces the new status quo where he's blonde, he's got the new suit, he's working at a coffee shop, and there's a female Dr. Octopus because why the fuck not? Right. You know, and you have Kane, who's the failed Peter Parker clone who was killed and resurrected because god damn it we can't let anyone be dead we have to keep having fucking clones uh there's also let's see they find the body of the original spider-man clone so oh no there's who is we 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 had determined that peter parker was the clone of spider-man now we found the clone what the hell's going on yeah and you know it's like so Peter and MJ have returned from Portland, uh, and then Peter loses his spider powers, but uh, now that the Parkers are back in the books, Peter's got to get his powers back after almost dying because... Because... Uh, reasons. Sales. Char- yeah, characters uh, become cyborgs for no real reason. Like, what? Uh, the Bob and For Forcer Hammerhead and the Hobgoblin. Uh, let's see... Yeah, Peter dies, but then gets better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Onslaught, uh, which we'll talk about after this, happens for like two issues. Uh, Mary Jane gets poisoned, is forced into labor, and is told that the baby's stillborn, but the baby's actually kidnapped. And then we all discover the person who's been masterminding this whole thing because Jesus fucking Christ, this comic, this this storyline has gone on. For technically, this story has gone on for twelve years now. Oh my goodness! Because okay, yeah, you started back in the seventies when it first. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, this thing because these all these comics have been, uh, you know, it's four main titles, and this thing's been running for like two to three years, so about three years or so. Uh huh. Think about it: three years, but each comic book there's four separate comics. This is 12 years worth of stories now, if you're running in a single issue. Got it. So, Norman Osborn, who's been dead for 20 years at this point, has now been retconned to be alive and has been masterminding everything. I was impaled. I got better! <laughs> yeah. Uh, and everything we know is a lie, and then Ben dies, Peter be you know, has gained his powers back, becomes Spider-Man, beats the shit out of Osborn. And this this thing really, there, there's, there is a uh, condensed version of the storyline that is better, but nothing about this is good. And the Parker baby plotline is dropped until 98, uh, where there's a story called The Final Chapter, and oh wait no it wasn't communism was just a red herring uh literally the kidnapped baby just vanishes and we didn't talk yeah then it was got the mc2 or something like that we got spider girl a couple years later yeah yeah we talked we talked about that where yeah Yeah, it became the spider girl series but yeah to this point in cotton in i mean i'm talking modern day comic books no one has ever mentioned that fucking baby huh that baby has disappeared. People have forgotten about it. It is as dead as uh, Peter and MJ's marriage in... Uh, Goddamn. Anyway, Man. yeah. 
But uh, a couple quick quick things before we'll talk about the last the the big event from Marvel in general. Uh, there was the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, which uh, the only basically Scott and Jean travel back in time to Victorian London, kind of like what they did in the other one. They go into someone else's body and live their lives out there. But they run afoul of Nathaniel Essex, who will become the evil mutant character's Mr. Sinister. Uh, and, I was wondering if that was his name. And basically, it's it's a shitty series. It's got terrible art. There's really not a whole lot going for it. Aside from you do get a... If you really like Mr. Sinister, this is his backstory. And it is actually, in that regard, it's interesting but it's badly written. Uh, Apocalypse is in it because of course he is. Uh, it's just, it's a muddled mess, but if you really want to know, learn more about that character, this is this is one of the things that you would really want to read. But I pity your soul. I can't believe we just talked about two stupid stories in the Marvel Universe. That's how pathetic <laughs> the year was. <laughs> oh, we, we got one more. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Wolverine number 100 and kind of onward uh, Cable's shitty son Tyler or his adopted shitty adopted son or his shitty adopted nephew depending on who's writing the story who's been in the Cable comics for some time uh, is going by this moniker Genesis at this point and decides he's the heir of Apocalypse because uh, fuck it, it it's <laughs> Let's just go with it. <laughs> he kidnaps Wolverine and attempts to rebond him with Adamantium because it's been years now at this point. Uh, so Logan does get his metal bones and claws back. And then his his uh, healing factor, which had been waning, gets kicked into overdrive. And he loses his nose and goes feral. No, I remember this. It was so stupid. Why does his nose fall off? Uh, because that's what happens if you turn feral in the Marvel universe. Sure. The same thing happened to Wild Child. Okay. It's. It, it's. <laughs> why? But okay. Onslaught uh, is the big event. And what's kind of nice about this event is unless you were following, Mar uh, Mar following the X Men or like reading Wizard Magazine. Oh, God, I miss Wizard Magazine. I was just yeah. thinking about it this morning. You might actually find yourself being totally 100% blindsided by this event. Because it's it's been the same... Back in... Uh, I think uh, we talked about this in 93. Uh, we were talking about Fatal Attractions, and I said that that storyline would have repercussions. And basically, this is where we've gotten to. Uh after the Age of Apocalypse, they had like a little one-shot thing that's supposed to reestablish things, and during it, we're starting to see this uptick in violence against mutants. And so we're kind of getting this idea that Charles Xavier's dream is kind of, you know, is failing, and he's really taking it badly. He's, you know, he's been trying really hard, and he effectively kind of gets this little gremlin on his shoulder that starts kind of sinking its claws into him. And he starts, Charles Xavier breaks bad, basically. Uh, we've been having this long-running mystery since Bishop, the man from the future, showed up about someone betrays the X-Men and kills them and wipes them out. It's Charles, because he's been... Uh, if for, uh, here's where, this is where it kind of pussied out. It was, he was literally supposed to have gone 100% dark. He was supposed to be 
a villain in this point. Yeah, he well, kills, they do this all the time. They, they chicken yeah, out all the time, yeah. Yeah, he's supposed to kill the X-Men. He's supposed to, you know... It, they, when he wipes Magneto's mind in Fatal Attractions, part of Magneto's darkness gets in, enters his mind and starts creating this alternate personality called Onslaught. And it's left a mystery for a decent amount of time in, in the storyline until all of a sudden we get to the point where he's called all the X-Men to him and he reveals, you know, that he is the mastermind behind, you know, some of these things going on. Oh no, we have to stop him. I blow up the mansion because when does the X-Mansion not get blown up? Right. Uh, he's, uh, Xavier's uh, taken over bits and pieces, uh, you know, around the world. He's created uh, a group of super sentinels that he throws out into New York so yeah, if you're reading just reading the Punisher, all of a sudden Sentinels attack and blow the shit out of a uh, shield carrier, and it's kind of like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like Spider-Man. All of a sudden, he's doing his little web swing thing. Sentinels attack. Yeah, like I said, if you weren't actually reading X-Men or something, all of a sudden, You'd be shit's very, going very down. Cute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but. Basically, uh, all the all the heroes get together. Uh, oh, one thing I do have to say is he's also trying to get uh, uh, X Men, uh, Nate Gray from the Age of Apocalypse, and Franklin Richards, the godlike being that exists. You know, little moppet of uh, of uh, Reed Richards and Sue Storm, their little child, who's effectively a god on Earth. Uh, he's trying to get them under his sway and because I really need to mention that before I go any further Avengers, X-Men, Iron Man Fantastic Four, all these people get together with the X-Men, they fight Onslaught over Manhattan and I actually had a whole bunch of notes as to what these characters are up to I don't know if I want to go into it because we've actually gone longer than I expected <laughs> <laughs> uh Okay, quick things. Uh, Thor was cast out of out of Asgard and had just recently gotten back into into good graces. Uh, Tony Stark was discovered to be a sleeper agent programmed by Cave the Conqueror. He uh, eventually went back in time, got his teenage version, who's now currently Iron Man. Uh, Captain America was accused of treason and just recently saved the president's life, so he's no longer a man without a country. Uh, Oh yeah, and that's about it. Because uh, fuck the Avengers, <laughs> fuck the Fantastic Four. They were doing their bullshit. Uh, it really was the pits of the Marvel Universe. Seriously, it was embarrassing. Yeah. So all these people get together. They're fighting it, and eventually they destroy Onslaught, and it's at the cost of a good amount of heroes' lives. I mean, like I said, it's. The event, most of the Avengers, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, Captain America, a lot of these people get are wiped out, and you know now Xavier. Yeah, you know, it's been shown that Xavier's taken over by a parasite because you know it's how he's Hal Jordan, and uh, and Onslaught is Parallax because we we don't want to actually make our our hero an actual villain. <laughs> yeah. So, but everyone's now seen Xavier's, you know, darkest side 
exposed to the world, and he is now uh, in serious trouble. Uh, all the you know all these people are dead. Mutants are now hated more. Uh, Black Widow shutters the Avengers, and we're done. And a lot of comics come to an end. Now, what I what I mean is they were actually all all these comics were rebooted, and they now exist in a different reality that was going to have new continuity and stuff. Because welcome to Heroes Reborn, where they gave it over to the artists. Oh well, it was given over to Ghibli's Wildstorm Productions, and uh, ride. Uh, Rob Lightfield's uh, Extreme Studios. Marf. Yeah, so Wildstorm got Fantastic Four and Iron Man. Lightfield had Cap and the Avengers. And this is where that picture of that really horribly proportioned Captain America comes from. Not not from the actual comic, but from promotional material. Yeah. Rob Lightfield thought people would want to read a Captain America comic with that huge chested, tiny lower bodied cap uh, thankfully his time with Captain America lasts six issues and he was uh, booted from all the books that they were yeah, but, yeah. But, do you remember wasn't there didn't he even have like a Captain America ripoff that he got sued for like the heroic shield or something stupid the fighting American like, or something it, it basically any everything that uh Lightfield does a ripoff of someone else's work. Yeah. Even dead, even though he likes to claim that he Deadpool is an original creation, we all know that it's death. It's a re, reskin of Deathstroke. Well, Cable. Do you mean Cable or Deadpool? No, Deadpool. Well, Deadpool is Deathstroke. Well, I both mean, of them yeah. kind of feel like Deathstroke. Now that I think about it, the look of Deadpool, but the the attitude of Deathstroke goes into Cable. Yeah, I guess, I guess, but even then, it's, it's, you know, Wade Wilson as opposed to Slade Wilson. Oh, yeah, fuck, I never thought of that. Huh. Yeah, and and Lightfoot loves to pretend that he didn't do that, even though, but uh, effectively, this whole thing la- runs only a year's time. We'll, we'll talk about it ending in the next episode of this, but uh, this is all, it turns out, a pocket universe created by Franklin Richards, because... Uh, they realized how shitty all these comics were, <laughs> and, they, and they needed a way to get them back. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into that stuff in the next show. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was Marvel. I, I I even dug deep to try and actually get get some good stuff out of it, and no. Yeah, my turn. Your turn. Okay, so things are starting to look up over at Disney. Or D- Disney, sorry, DC. <laughs> um, it's not great, but it's better. Uh, so, you know, we talked about, I think, earlier about the Justice League, where after Superman... Uh, well, there's, there's a whole Keith Giffen, Dematis... Uh, I can't remember who the artist was. The run, you know, the whole New Beginnings of JLA that started, like, in 86, 87... And, you know, that had a big fan following, but people said it lacked, like, urgency and danger. So then they, they changed things up, and they, you know, the whole creative team uh, moved around. I think Dan Jurgens took over. And then we had the whole Doomsday event, and that was kind of like the peak of that era of Justice League, where things really could be, you know, pretty deadly. And 
Then Wonder Woman had taken over, and slowly the interest in sales, and the team just kept getting weirder and weirder. I think, like, Tasmanian Devil was on there or something like that, and the Ray. You know, it wasn't like the Elite, uh, and nor was it funny anymore, because uh, that was kind of the joy of the early part of the series, is that it was just a bunch of oddballs, but that it was funny. So I think Justice League, you know, needed the slate cleaned. And I gotta tell you, oh my god Grant Morrison just said hey we're going with the big seven you know of course they, they didn't have you know Barry and Hal but they had Wally and Kyle and oddly enough threw in what uh, the plastic man that he's the one oddball choice and it really works well yeah well it's also because plastic man is a fun character because DC has effectively two characters that are literally the same one and it's Plastic Man and Elongated Man. Right. But Elongated Man is more of a detective character, whereas Plastic Man is just fun. Well, isn't... I want to say, isn't that a Fawcett Comics? Like, they bought... Maybe it wasn't Fawcett. I know they got Shazam, uh, Captain Marvel, from them, but I think they also owned Plastic Man, and I just feel like DC was like, well, we bought this, but what the hell do we do with it? Besides that cartoon, it basically got tossed away. It, that feels... I think that... That sounds about right. So, yeah, it was definitely an acquisition that they had. And I had a problem with Howard Porter's art uh, in the beginning. And sometimes I still think it's a really weird choice of how he draws people. I think a lot of it is the inking. Um, I think it's just too dark and heavy. But then there's some stuff that he draws that's so fucking jaw-dropping and, and really captures the action that you have in your, you know, of what it should be. Um, so I'm always kind of torn on his artwork. But I, I'm yeah. trying to think if I've read this any of this run or not. And I, Didn't I thought we did a whole episode about this, like the first it's part? Poss- yeah, it's possible. Okay, I'm, I'm trying. I'm like I'm trying to remember. But yeah, I think we. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, we did. And Morrison is just <laughs> this side of too complicated when it comes to his big heady plots. So it's really like dense and layered and these huge ideas that you never thought of. And we get somehow it's palatable to a general audience, which, you know, some writers can get so caught up in their own ideas that you don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But I think he did a really genius way of doing it. My favorite one is though when they finally meet Prometheus and he has all the programming of how to take down every single uh, member of the Justice League and they want to know how the how it was possible, and then he's like, "Oh, Batman's like, oh, well, he took it from me." And they're like, "Why do you have plans on taking us all down?" I think they kicked them out for a while. Like they had serious trust issues with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to try to think. It's like because I do get Morrison and uh, some someone else confused occasionally when I when I have to think about this. Well, Warren Ellis I, is the guy I would say is probably closest in his style. Yeah. Yeah, and it's things like Morrison. I think is a, is the kind of guy who gets in his way a lot because, yeah, it, you can sit there and go like he's written some amazing work, and then he turns around and writes the most it will say batshit insane things that you just you can't follow. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and then I remember he, it ran really well for like 70 issues, and he ended it with World War Three. He always had like a five-year run planned. And then it just, again, Justice League lost its steam. This is what they do all the time now, is they'll get a big writer with a huge idea, 
who could only carry it for a little while. Morrison probably had the longest run of anybody, though. Um, but, like, you know, they had Brad Metzler for, like, two years and then just petered out. Jeff Jones and then it petered out. They was constantly doing this now. But remember back in the day that they would just change creative teams, but they wouldn't reboot the series. You just, this is a new era. That's it. Yeah, DC was very, was very good at uh, constantly rebooting everything every, what, yeah. 20 years or so? Yeah, and then, but now it's like every other year. It's irritating. Um, but over uh, with Hitman launches, which I think debuted in Detective Comics as like a, just a guest character that everybody fell in love with, and Garth Enos basically hits the ground running. Has he done Preacher yet? At this point, I think so. Okay. I think, I think uh, Ennis had had, had uh, uh, I'm going to look him up okay. at the moment. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, he was, he was for a long time, you know, he was a UK writer. I think he wrote, like, for 2000 AD. And this is kind of like his American breakout. Yes, Preacher, if it already was out, but it's still a Vertigo title that wasn't a mainstream thing. This is him doing the best he can <laughs> with oh, a main... Well, well, that's the thing. Like, this came from uh, that Bloodlines crossover event. That's uh, right. What was Hitman's power anyway? Just he was amazing uh, shot or what? Well, no, he had, uh, he had like, uh, his eyes. He could, like, he had x-ray vision or something like that. Oh, okay. Why did they kill him off after, like, six years? I, I never understood. Like, such a popular... Well, not, he wasn't, like, a top ten by any means, but he had a strong cult following, and then they just killed his character off. Is that a deal that Enos had I, with him? Like, does he I think, own? I think that was. I think that was always the idea. Was he wanted this character? I, I think he was given creative control over him, and he had his own story planned out. Yeah. Okay. Because well, it's, it's just it's so strange because DC, uh, you know, goes back on deals all the time. I mean, fuck's sake, the Watchmen are in our normal universe now. But, well, but the, the problem, well. The thing with the hit with Hitman is it would very easily under anyone else just become generic Punisher. I guess, yeah. It's just so interesting though, because like you know they bought Wildstorm what ninety eight, ninety nine. They're like, oh, it'll always be its own separate thing. But then all of a sudden, like, well, you know what? We gotta incorporate this too. <laughs> so it's just it's odd. Um, but uh, yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, he has been writing uh, a preacher for a little bit at this point. Okay. Yeah, it was a darkly comedic, uh, kind of like a sidestep to the whole DC universe. It's in it, but it, it barely touched, you know, what was going on in that world. It's pre predominantly, he's a Batman-adjacent character, and Batman does pop up. I think Superman does at one point. Yeah, basically, though, it's, it's just him take, you know, taking on odd jobs or whatever, taking low-level mobsters down and stuff like that. And, and it has, uh, was it Section 6, I think, was the... Uh, the quote-unquote superhero team in it filled with like the uh the perverts and uh <laughs> and drunks and <laughs> was guy uh, gardner part of this team <laughs> no um uh, it did have it have uh what uh i think it's six pack was the uh was the leader of it and he was just what? a drunk he was just a drunk bum all right uh who got a statue who saved the world who actually has as much as Garth Ennis is a messed up human being, he writes some twisted, you know, really just off the wall, you just puppy head tilt while you read this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm never gonna forget encountering the hillbillies in Preacher where he says, I'm gonna fuck a fish. 
I think he did fuck a fish. I think he had one in his hand with his mouth open. <laughs> but but you get to this point where it's yeah, you have this these characters. Like Dog welder is one of the one of the characters. Guess what he does? I don't want to know. He welds <laughs> yeah. dogs together. Yeah, welds dogs to people. Oh, uh, it's, it's but he ends up taking these characters that he's basically just making a you know he's doing commentary on superheroes. And he actually gives this drunk character a end that you genuinely will tear up over. Wow. Because like, as messed up as he is, he doesn't understand how to push, one, push all the right buttons, but also how to craft really, really well-thought-out narrative, even though he loves to uh, just push every gross button he can <laughs> while getting there. The, uh... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm also just kind of going, and he also loves to put Nazis in everything. Yeah. He, he, those are his favorite villains. Yeah. Well, they're the best villains of all time, I guess. Nothing wrong with punching a Nazi. <laughs> um, over in the Batman universe again. Um, but this one's more direct. Nightwing finally gets his own spinoff. He is... is his, uh... His character needed to break away from the Titans for Pete's sake. And this is the point where the whole Teen Titans, remember they got rebooted and it was a super young uh, Adam and it was like a whole new team because everybody had basically aged out. And Nightwing's like, okay, well, I'm cutting off my hair for one. That, that mullet sucked. I'm changing my costume, make it look more streamlined. And I got my own city, Bloodhaven. Yeah, that's, I will say that is still the worst name like most on the nose, terrible name that he that they could have done it, and yet the Nightwing series is really good, and that city is a very compelling stand-in for uh, Gotham. Yeah, it's 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 a lower like what do you want to say? It's nowhere nearly as historical, and it's much more blue collar. It's almost like what what is uh? It's like Detroit to so Gotham is supposed to be Chicago, right? Yeah. Okay, or so, thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, so it's supposed to be Chicago, and that's the closest thing I think of is maybe Bloodhaven is Detroit, but they're much closer, aren't they? Like, it, it feels like Bloodhaven's only like an hour away from Gotham, at best. Yeah, it, it's relative. It, it seemed well. I would assume so. Let's let's state it like that because geography in the DC universe. Uh, it never has never made sense. Well, it's always trying to be parallel to something that actually exists, but it gives them the freedom to do things like blow up Coast City, which I think is San Diego, maybe. Which is yeah. weird because then they introduced like twenty years ago. They started saying, "Oh, there is a real San Diego." I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What? You can't start just talking about New York when we have Metropolis." What? Yeah, that's that's the problem. Is it's like, well, technically Metropolis, I think, is or at least originally supposed to be Vancouver. Really? Because uh, if I remember right, I think Simon and uh, Schuster were uh, actually from Canada, I think. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm remembering things, but I, I seem to remember you know, reading that that was the original inspiration. It was not actually New York, but it was like Vancouver. Wait, did you say Simon and Schuster, like the company? Uh, no. Siegel. Uh, yes, yeah. Siegel and Schuster. <laughs> Um, I forgot where it was. Oh, yeah, so I love Nightwing. At first, the art was jarring, just like Howard Porter. Um, 
the Scott McDaniel's art is very interesting because it's it's very stylized, but not in the way Image Comics was stylizing. This is what I think was happening at DC. Um, they saw what Marvel Marvel was constantly trying to catch up and replicate what Image was doing, and DC said, "Okay, we tried this too. Like Extreme Justice is clearly an Image influence kind of thing," and then I said, "Fuck this. Let's take more influence from." you know, other styles. Like, it's working with our Vertigo line, you know? It, that is a very unique look that doesn't look like Image. It's not like rippling muscles and thousands of pockets and all these, like, armor bullshit. And it's streamlined and it's stylized, but in a very unique way. I would... Even some of the coloring patterns that, like, Mike Mignola would use with some of his artwork is kind of brought over to Nightwing. Not the same drawing style, but the color and the, and the shading. Um, but... They introduced some, like, really interesting, like, one of my favorite, I can't remember his name, and I used to be a hardcore reader of this, but there was a guy who got his neck broke by Blockbuster, and somehow didn't die. Soames, I think is his name, and he, that's what he is. He is now just a dude that walks backwards, and <laughs> his neck is literally twisted all the way around, he survived. That's such a weird-ass fucking thing to do. <laughs> and, yeah, and then Block and Blockbuster is no longer, like, um... Uh, a Solomon Grundy knockoff, you know, like a dumbass Hulk kind of character. He's he's he did a deal with Neuron during Underworld Unleashed, where he got his intelligence back, and now he's like Kingpin. And it's I read this probably for a hundred and twenty issues or so until Chuck Dixon walked away, and oh, Bruce Jones took over, and then it got dark and weird, and it just wasn't my jam, and so I kind of just skipped out. And it's never been the same. They've, they've, they've tried to reboot it. It's just, it's not the right voice. Uh, I will, to go back to what I was saying, Schuster was Canadian. He modeled the skyline on Toronto. Oh, okay. Good to and, know. I didn't know that. I had no idea. And very early on, Clark Kent was working for the Daily Star, which was modeled after the Toronto Star. Ah, and speaking of Superman, we have the relaunch of Supergirl. Um, I think this is the first time that she's had a series since, like, I want to say the early 80s at best. And she was always, she's always a character that nobody can really figure out. It, it's like the way it was with Aquaman Forever or uh, Hawkman, where it's just like, Oh, we have this idea, but it just doesn't work for very long, and it burns itself out. I think Peter David had the longest and most critically acclaimed run for this character. Yeah, I definitely have read some of some of these in uh, in between the uh, after I started rereading comics again. I think somewhere in like the early two thousands, I think I read some of this. Yeah, some of this series. It's still, it's just not a character that's that popular, and it's. I, I don't know what they're going to do with it. They've attempted many times because, you know, there was the movie and the series. I think the series lasted longer than I expected. Um, but it's like, wasn't there a period where, like, okay, so after Crisis killed her off and they rebooted it, it wasn't like a clay figure that was just replicating, like a, a lady made out of a, a clay or a mud or something? Well, and she was... She was she was an alien. Uh, okay. God, God what, I can't remember what her, what her name was. But, yeah, she basically was... Like she could shift forms and stuff like that, and yeah, it's like if like during the Doomsday thing, she gets hit really hard and basically kind of see that weird uh, kind of goo-like figure that she okay. is. Okay. 
Yeah, that's the only time I've ever seen the character in that form. It's just like, and sometimes she's his cousin, sometimes she's not, sometimes she's the only survivor besides him, sometimes she's not. It's just they can never seem to figure out what to do with her. And it seems like Peter David held on for a pretty long time with, you know, keeping the character consistent and likable. Well, it's like, and also, I can't remember if at this time he also had Power Girl running around. Right, who's, who's also supposed to be like also, his cousin or something. Yeah, Yeah. who's also, yeah, this, who's also effectively the same character. Yeah, it's it's really confusing. So we'll see. I mean, I don't. They introduced her in the new Flash movie, but I don't know if it'll stick or not because they're already reconfiguring that universe. And ah, well, the Flash movie basically doesn't exist anymore after after this thing. Oh, because okay. it's now it's now all James Gunn stuff. So yeah, that that's Flash another thing to kill it in the theaters. Hey, all you watch here doesn't matter. <laughs> Oh, and then he announces he has like a four-hour cut that he's gonna put out. They're gonna put out on DVD. I'm like, <laughs> then don't go see it in theaters. It's fucking waste of time. <sighs> yeah. All right, we have the end of Sandman. I never read it, but you did, right? Yes, and oh, the the kindly ones and the wake are both phenomenal. Uh, the kindly ones is a fourteen-issue is a fourteen-issue storyline that takes everything that has happened in all those issues. And creates this, in a comic that's not about fighting, creates one of the most interesting non-fights ever. Because there are characters coming after uh, Morpheus for blood. Yeah. And you have, uh, like, uh, there's a, there's a dream, uh, I'm going to phrase it like this, there's a dream child that's been kidnapped. And we have to send a, did you see the, the series that was on Netflix. I haven't. No, is it still going or is it over? Oh, it it end. I think they're gonna. They might do a second season. Ugh, Netflix constantly torturing the fans, man. Yeah, but you have the serial killing Corinthian, uh, along with uh, the uh, Matthew, uh, his uh, Sandman's Raven, going after this uh, this child that they have to protect because it quote unquote belongs to Morpheus, even though. It's someone's child who's gutting for Morpheus's blood, and it's just all these all these plot lines and stuff just finally kind of come together in this this thing. And the big part of the, the beginning of the story, the mission statement is: Morph the Lord of Dreams has to learn to change or die, and he dies. No, but then he does. But then he doesn't die because he is. The, this dream child is an aspect of Morpheus. Hmm. So he becomes a new version of himself. A point. The only thing that has died is a point of view. And we've seen this character actually grow over the course of from you know from issue one till issue what seventy, I think. Okay. You actually are seeing a change in this character, and it's. Yeah, like I said, it's an interesting idea of how to do a battle without having to ever have characters throw punches. And you ultimately are given these like last couple of issues called The Wake, which it's the funeral for the uh, King of Dreams, which also brings back all the uh, the tie-in to it being part of the DC universe. Because you have like, uh, God, who is it? It's Superman, Batman and someone else commenting on 
oh shoot, I wish I had reread it because I'm trying to remember what they say. Basically, it's like, have you ever had a dream, but you're being played by someone else? No. And like Superman and Batman are like, yeah. And then the other person's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> because that person didn't have a, I think it might have been Martian Manhunter. And it's like, yeah, it's like, doesn't have a uh, version of himself that's ever been presented on screen at that time. But it's like, yeah, and you, you're watching, you're basically watching a funeral go, and it's a wonderfully emotional thing. You're given one more issue with the eternally living uh, medieval peasant Hob as he visits a Ren fair, and he's very he's having a hard time with it because it's nothing like the time period he grew up in. He's sitting there just, it's way too clean. No one's walking around with horrible tumors on their faces. Yeah. And he doesn't want to hear anyone speak to him in really bad, you know, fake English. But he's given a chance to die because uh, that's been the entire, his entire concept has been, you know, death is a fool's game. I'll never die. And so he makes a deal with uh, with the Sandman to basically live forever. Death will never touch him. And Death comes up and says, Hey, you know, yeah, my brother's dead. Do you want to die or do you want to keep going? Do you want to dance? I said, do, 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 do you want to die? <laughs> and basically, Sorry, I had to. <laughs> you know, yeah, and basically he chooses to live, so he's going to live for his friend. But, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, if he ever, there's always that open invitation that if he's finally done, he can be given his uh, his final rest. And it's, you know, it's like, the last issue eh, is about the Tempest, which uh, Shakespeare only wrote, like, two of his like only two original stories are about dream about dreaming and it's midsummer night's dream and the tempest and we saw earlier on in the series that uh shakespeare uh plays does uh, the midsummer night's dream for all the people that it's about so he's performing this farce in front of all the fairies the Tempest is more of just like a reflection on basically like your life and all and what it means to be alive and to dream. And it's just kind of like this kind of like a philosophical way to actually fully end your series. It's really believe, nice. I can't believe you remembered all that. Have you read it recently? No, it's been a little while. Okay. But I've read I've read that series a lot. Okay. I, say, <laughs> I have a shit memory for some of this stuff. So, um... Kingdom Come comes out and basically makes Alex Ross now a household name. He he had been rising for a while, like Marvels did very well, but this holy shit, this fucking makes him like a phenomenon, and still had ramifications for years to come. Because another thing where DC would incorporate it as best they could into the normal DC universe, like around two thousand, I want to say six, they started incorporating uh, parts of it into Justice Society. And it's a weird, it's kind of a religious book in a way. It's also groundbreaking because it decided to, it, it just like this, this idea of what they would be like in the future, this whole epic story 
about like the next generation of superheroes, but in a, a different way than we had seen before. Because we had like what Iron Man twenty forty and Hulk Future and Perfect and stuff like that. But I just remember it just it, it, I, I never felt like something had like this Elseworlds kind of tale had so much weight to it that felt like it was part of the normal universe. Yeah, it it does feel like it is a continuation of all those stories, just, you know, a comic book that fell 20 years from the future or something like that. Yeah, and not like the same way like the whole 2099. Like, that just felt like it was just a goof-off. Like, there's there's too much distance, you know, for that to matter. But this one just felt like it's just 20 years from now. Yeah, it just, it feels like, yeah, it was just the natural progression of the stories that they told. And yeah, it's so it's such a beautiful work of art. That all that all that stuff in there. I still cannot get out of my head the scene where Shazam has been taken over and he just keeps hitting Superman with lightning over and over and over. And he has that demonic look like he can't wait to kill Superman because in a weird way, Superman has always overshadowed Captain Marvel. And I think he's just kind of always pissed and, and jealous about it, but never really said it. And now he has a chance, yeah, to to take some vengeance for all that. What's the name of that worm that's in his ear? I can't remember. Is like the little fucking... Oh, oh God. Uh, it's like Mr. Mind. Yeah, and that's basically what's taken him over. And it kind of... I, I don't, I don't want to say he completely took over Captain Marvel. I feel like he just enhanced the worst parts of him. Which is weird to say because everybody thinks Captain Marvel is purist, but he's still human. He's still a boy who has the emotional, you know, stunted, you know, he hasn't developed, like, nuance and complicated grays in his life. Yeah, he is a kid who just has all these godlike powers. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just a phenomenal story. But you remember after this, it was just like, every time he turned around, uh, Alex Ross was doing covers. And I think that's kind of slowed him down, though, because he wasn't creating anything. He was doing those giant, though. Remember the die, not the digest. That's small. What's the oversized? Uh, what, what are those called? Those massive. Oh, they used to do them, to... treasury edition. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he he did one of. I want to say he did four of them. He did Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. I think he did one of. Captain Marvel, and uh, but he'd only did like one a year, but that's how long it took because he kept getting distracted by these huge paychecks for covers. Remember, he even did like the Oscars, like he did a whole painting for them. It was so strange. Like he was a celebrity artist who was actually good, unlike Rob Liefeld, who was a celebrity as well. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, there's there's definitely good Alex Ross. I can't really think of. Anything that he like art wise that he has done that I do not like. Yeah, he never even his early stuff like with Terminator burning the Earth before he really developed his style and had the budget to do it. Still pretty good. Yeah, it's like there's there's certain things where it's like I may not care for the story. I'm not a you know it's like but if I see an Alex Ross painted you know cover i will at least look at it yeah it may not be my may not be my favorite thing but you'll be like dang he's (laughs) he's big he's really big into the golden age of comics and you know he did covers and a little bit of minor redesign work for justice society and then he went over to dynamite and he's been there for a really long time like 
doing like the shadow and green hornet and that whole superpowers was it project superpowers he worked on forever yeah. ever yeah just redesigning and writing and doing covers for those guys i've never really got into it because those aren't characters that i know too well i feel like with dynamite i think the art is becoming the curse of independent comics is more important than the actual writing with his stuff i mean Right on, right on. I'm trying to look. I'm looking up the some of those things that he's done. Yeah, I heard Daredevil was his version. The the no, it's not the death defying Daredevil because it's a public domain name. Um, but yeah, he took like these old public domain characters, and so he has a big history with like this golden age. So it's kind of interesting that he took on a project like this that not only honors the the golden age, but also like develops a whole new age of characters. Here we go. Uh, those those ones, they were Superman, Peace on Earth, Batman, War on Crime, yeah, yeah. Shazam, Power of Hope, Wonder Woman, Spirit of Truth, and then uh, JLA, Secret Origins, and Liberty and Justice. Okay. I remember for April Fool's, Wizard Magazine had him do... I mean, how much money did they pay for this joke? They had him do a Power Twins uh, he, that he was gonna that he was gonna do a treasury edition of the Power Twins, and he did a huge mock up painting of it, or whatever. And I'm like, that's a lot of money and time for a joke. <laughs> but um, we also have Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale coming together for the epic long Halloween, and it's so interesting to think that Jeff Loeb was uh, so he had five hits right in a row. Well, sort of hits. He had Teen Wolf, Commando, Burglar, and Teen Wolf 2, and then nothing. Just dry as a desert for years. And then just somehow, I don't know how he ended up in comic books, but it just hits the ground running. And if you look at his comics work, it's insane compared to his film work. And that's even including when he started, you know, Marvel started putting him in charge, or DC started putting him in charge of stuff like Smallville and stuff like that. But... I just think he's a, another one of those guys like Judd Winnick, you know, Jeff Johns, whatever, that really got down to the roots of who the characters were and then explore the story. And that's what makes it work so much. If it's just a gimmick, if it's just a plot with no characters to back it up, then who gives a shit? Yeah, yeah. And long, especially the long Halloween, just that is a hell of a story. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of sequels in this universe but also like remember they went over to marvel and they did like spider-man blue daredevil yellow and stuff like that like they, they him and tim sale worked so well together at getting these really like uh, enclosed stories that aren't part of the normal universe they don't have to worry about anything else going on they just tell the story and i love that yeah one thing I'll, i will say though is don't check out please do never look at anything that he did for the ultimate line on, on Marvel, because that stuff is really bad. I uh, I only read Ultimate Spider-Man. Who wrote that? It was Mark Bagley well, drawing. Uh, that, that was Bendis. Bendis. That's why it works so well. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's just it's so funny how they just said, "Well, is this an Elseworlds?" Well, it wasn't right. It was just his own little thing. Like, um, oh yeah, it was just yeah, it was just a story. Yeah. It it kind of got folded into because it. It exists in, in in like the same world as Batman Year One and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's like it it's in 
continuity, but it's also just like kind of one step removed. Right. Well, there's been so many fucking reboots and uh, reconfigurations of that whole universe over and over and over again. I just assume everything is going to be part of it. So. <laughs> yeah. Except yeah. Batman Gotham by Gaslight. <laughs> um. And the final thing in uh, the DC Universe that I'll talk about is Final Night. It, it, the end of Hal Jordan is Green Lantern, Parallax, whatever you want to call that beast, and uh, would eventually become... Not, what was the... Damn oh, it, not Spectre. The Spectre, thank you. I almost said Sentry, and I had to pause. Um, I just It was a really good storyline, and I, I just remember, like... DC used to do these kind of stories... Like, they had the, the, the one annual that would spread out to everything, you know. Uh, like, showcase, yeah. Yeah, well, no, no, I was, talk, I was talking, like, Zero Hour and stuff like that, where it, oh, it, every yeah. single title had to have it. And Final Night was kind of one of those enclosed tales, where it was only four or five issues, and it just very clean, no complications. And at the end of it, you had this beautiful sacrifice. Uh, Hal Jordan trying to fight as hard as he can against Parallax. And, you know, saves the universe because the sun is being eaten, I think, by the Star Eater or something like that. Some, yeah, something like that. Yeah, and it's just, and it really, and Superman could not do anything because he's powered by the sun and he's the only other guy that could have possibly had the power to take out uh, th- this creature. Well, it's like, I, I'm still trying to think if I've actually read the story. I'm not, I genuinely don't know if I've ever read it. I, know it because kevin smith uh uses it as the basis for his uh, return of uh of uh oliver quinn right right there, there's a speck <laughs> there's a speck yeah. of a green arrow on green lantern's cost no not green uh, on, on superman on superman's costume yeah because yeah. Yeah. yeah prior to this like yeah he had uh oliver queen sacrificed himself by you know blowing something up and yeah apparently yeah. hal jordan as the specter took a little little piece of of ollie quinn and then used it to resurrect him the uh and it's not there's no big names really on this just like you know consistent creators that always did good stuff carl kessel and Stuart amonin amonin you know oh, I mean. yeah. he does. He does the art. I like. I like that guy's work. Yeah, I think Carl Kessel. I think was mostly known for like a Superman kind of universe kind of guy. But I thought. I thought it was a good story. If you find it cheap, I would check it out. Okay, that's, that's very possible. All right. So over in the independent world, uh, look, I, 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 they never really said it as far as I know, but I know Robot Chicken is based off this. But Wizard Magazine launches Twisted Toy Fair Theater. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I remember those. I, I want to say, I, yeah. I think it was a few segments in Wizard, but then it went over to Toy Fair, which, you know, all of a sudden, because of all these newer companies coming in, like McFarland, somebody doing higher-end toys, that whole that started a whole new thing for them. You know, they were doing articles on new toy lines, and they would have a price guide in the back of that, like the way they did with comic books. And they always had this little segment that made me fucking crack up. I even went and bought all the collections. Like, they would get all the Twisted Mega Theater whatever together in a a big book. It's definitely one of the things that I remember, you know, even if I wasn't really uh, looking at at uh, comics at the time, you'd see that on like a magazine spinner, and I'd pick it up and at least flip through it to see, just at least look at those. Yeah, uh, me and my friend Joey, when it was fall of two thousand three, early two thousand four, we were talking about because we read it at work during the downtimes, and we're like, we should turn this into like a stop motion animation kind of short, 
Like, we were coming up with ideas and stuff like that. We had the action figures to do it with because he had a huge toy collection. And we stalled so long. And by the time we finally started, like, writing the scripts, <laughs> Robot Chicken debuted. <laughs> Shit. But, yeah, 100%. That, that has to be where they got it from. Yeah. I think even one of the main guys from Toy Fair went over, and he's a main writer on that. So, um, I already mentioned barbed wire. Barbed wire. So the last thing I'll say is uh, the darkness debuts, and I remember this being such a phenomenon with my friends, and I think it made the cover of Wizard a few times, and it was a big deal. For and no one talks about it. that or Witchblade. I don't think either one are around anymore. No, no. Horror comics just it had this boom in the late nineties. What's funny is they did make two games based off of uh, off the darkness, and there was a Witchblade anime. Yeah, well, there's the Witchblade TV show too. Yeah, that, there was a brief moment where those where the, those Top Cow properties were actually like big big deals. Yeah, I wonder if I didn't look it up. I don't know if Top Cow was around. Was that Mark Silvestri, right? Yes. He did, because yeah, yeah. his was Cyberforce, but then that started to peter out. I think he got bored of the two, and then all of a sudden Witchblade became a huge thing. But that wasn't his either. Like, he he, he didn't draw it. It was, like, David um, David Worth or something like that. I can't remember. But then, like, that and the darkness. Yeah, I remember they were just, like, huge for a few years. There was, there was a time, kids, when Image Comics... And it wasn't anything created by Robert Kirkman that actually got like word of mouth around and people were excited about like Cliffhanger and and stuff like that. And it's just it's such a unique time. I think people saw like the blood in the water was there for the major companies because they just didn't know what the fuck they're doing anymore. And I think people just got burnt out and they wanted whole new universes. But consistency was the problem with these independent comics. Yeah, I was I was thinking about it and I. There was one series that I I don't think we've ever mentioned, but uh, looking it up, it's like Strangers in Paradise, which had debuted in '93. Actually, did actually have something. It did went. It did go to Image uh, for eight issues during uh, starting in '96. Yeah, there there's some guys who would take their stuff over for a while and then realize, nah, this doesn't work for me, and go somewhere else, or they would just shut down. I feel yeah, like which it, I which I'll say this. I think I I know exactly which which one it is because that's like they started off by basically going into the image comics house style for a brief thing and it ended up being like a dream a dream sequence where the characters yeah look like they are just you know the big tits big guns yeah you know, yeah type comic book. well if i remember mage is one of those where like the first series of mage was like Dark Horse or maybe or something even earlier than that and then you know Matt Wagner's series and then it went over to Image for the last two runs and then some people just like bouncing it out because it gives you the ability to have a publisher have creative control I think what bothers a lot of creators is first off there's nobody breathing over their shoulder to keep them going and two they have to do all the promotion that's that's their responsibility, but they're too busy creating the comics. They don't have time to go around doing that for you know. So they need a company, you know, someone bigger to do that for them. That's why Dark Horse keeps chugging along. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just uh, image. Do people still talk about image? I think even Kirkman has left image. I saw that he started his own company and he picked up the uh, the GI Joe and the Transformers um, contracts. Well, I'll say this. I think Image is really being held together by Saga. I mean, there's 
there's there's definitely uh, I'm pulling up a, a list right now of like stuff that's coming out for Image. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see briefly where are we? But yeah, if you think about it, I feel like this last two years or so has really hit um, independent comics right in the dick because there's too many companies. There's too many licenses that cost too much money that aren't connecting. And then the independent stuff that's unique that that has a voice of its own is getting buried. And only a few things get out, like Lumberjanes, you know, that stuff. But Oni Press is uh, on the ropes. Uh, basically, all the companies in Portland are on the ropes. I mean, I didn't know Image Comics moved to Portland, too. Um, so you have, you have Dark Horse... Uh, Oni Press. Uh, there's a couple others up there where it's just like they're letting the people go like crazy because they can't keep up. It's like it's like Monstrous uh, is still is still going really strong for them. They got Spawn back. Uh, Walking Dead. There's like a new thing of Walking Dead stuff. Oh God, just and, let that go. And definitely, and definitely Saga. Saga is one of their like that. That's the one that's been really holding the torch. Uh, I, I hate Fairyland is a good one that they that Image has currently. Dude, I am on Image right now, and I can't believe what I'm reading. Battle Chasers is back with a vengeance. A new story oh, yeah. arc yeah. and reprints of the original. Uh, Cyber Force is looking to relaunch. They're re- reprinting old Megaton comics. <laughs> they do have a huge catalog of stuff from the past oh, yeah. they could put in trade paperback to get people interested again. I think the only thing still going is Savage Dragon and Spawn. I didn't even see Savage Dragon on their header here. That's crazy. Oh, That's one yeah, of the yeah, Sa- yeah, Savage Dragon is still is still going around. Yeah, still chugging along. Uh, yeah, it's just so interesting where they started and where they are now, because DC and Marvel have always tried to keep all their original characters going, but when all these characters are owned by different people and they can decide to shut it down or sell it off, it's it's totally different. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that is the rub of it, isn't it? Yeah. All right, so we have most definitely gone past an hour. I am pooped. Uh, <laughs> I'm an old man. Let me get on my rocker. Um, give my man a beautiful back in my day. <laughs> I love it when people bitch about comics now. <laughs> like, I gotta keep changing all these characters and doing all this. It's like, dude, we've already been through that. <laughs> that's what the whole zero hour was for us. So don't complain. It just happens. Um, I think it even happened in the 70s too it's like hey Wonder Woman doesn't have powers now now she works as a model mm. <laughs> well, she was doing kung fu come yeah. on uh, alright that is it uh, anything you want to plug before you go uh, nothing at the moment but there is uh, there is a couple of podcasts or a new podcast in the works for me Ooh, what's it about uh, it basically it's Effectively, like the old fireside chats, my friend uh, who has been on the show, Johnny, and I used to have. Uh, we are in talks to start. I don't know if we're going to post this first one, but we're gonna. I'm going to try and win him back over to the light side of the force on uh, Star Wars Episode Eight. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, which one is that one? Is that uh, the Last Jedi? Last Jedi. Oh yeah, that's yeah, my. He's, that he's that he's might be my favorite one. That film. What's that? He's one of the people that definitely hates that oh, film, and that's... I think I might, I think I can win him over, maybe not to loving the film, but at least not hating it. That'd be an interesting topic, because, so I, we stopped doing trash cinema a couple years ago. It'd be interesting if you guys talked about movies that either flopped or were hated or whatever, and, and revisit them and see how, how that goes. Like, 47 Ronin at the time 
was hated, hated. It was a massive flop. And now all of a sudden everybody's coming around on it. It's kind of interesting how time works like that. It, it's always strange how everything gets to recon, get recontextualization yeah. on uh, all sorts of stuff. Or, or what age you were. Like, look, I saw Howard the Duck like 50 times as a kid, but as an adult, it's hard to get through. But man, <laughs> my, my co-host Jacob on the movie, uh, most of the movie discussions, um, he loves it. He loves uh, so many of these movies that I'm like, oh no. <laughs> this revisiting of the old Super Mario Brothers movies is very strange to me. Uh, yeah, well, I think that's also, I genuinely, uh, I genuinely would love, uh, I think I'm going to talk about another podcast now, uh, that how... Uh, how not to make a movie I still would like Al Katz to get uh, the guy who directed Hellraiser Bloodlines on yeah that's a film that's I, a film I, I genuinely thought, see I really thought that's what his show was going to be is that he said to us that he was going to get other directors to come on and talk about movies that haven't gone well for them and it hasn't happened yet and I'm kind of bummed yeah it's, that is a shame but, it, it feels uh, like he's milking the Tales from the Crypt thing too long well that's that is kind of the his the world he's in is all those people. I that guess, but I mean, at some get. point you got to exhaust what you're talking about, and it's called how not to make a movie. Get other directors and actors and whatever writers on to talk about things that have gone completely different directions of how they intended to be. Yeah, as I said, I think, like I said, Hellraiser Four has kind of gotten a little bit of a re reevaluation. Well, if it's Curse of Michael Myers can have a re, uh, well, it helps that there's a new cut of it. But it, that'd be an interesting thing for you guys to do. Yeah, just let me know. And uh, why are we still talking about it's on the air? Shit. Hey, guys, <laughs> we should go. Bye. See ya. <laughs>